Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. We're talking some USC Utah. We're going to be in the Coliseum this Saturday at 5 p.m. We're going to do a preview with Dan Sorensen. Uh, he's on the uh, Scout 247 Network covering the Utah Utes. So, utesown.com. So, we're going to talk with him. A little bit later on in the show, I'm going to answer uh, some of the leftover questions that you guys had sent in following USC's 38-10 to 10 win over Oregon State. If you have questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com's email address and our voicemail number and text number. You can send a voicemail or a text, 424-254-9141. Um, you can download the podcast on any of the podcasting apps. Uh, iTunes, the biggest one, itunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast, we have our own URL on iTunes. If you want to leave some positive feedback, that would be wonderful. A five-star rating, that certainly helps propagate the show out there to other potential USC fans who may not have been as lucky as you to discover it. But no, we do appreciate it. you got plenty of things to do in your day. The fact that you took time to download or stream uh, our little show, uh, we do appreciate that. It's our 10th season covering Trojan football, and we love it. We're doing a lot of shows, as you know. Uh, I think this is our fourth one. Yeah, fourth one this week. We did a uh, recruiting podcast earlier in the week, a premium one, so you have to be a uscfootball.com member for that. But earlier one with Harvey Hyde, uh, Dan Weber. This one will be our preview show, but we did still have a lot of leftover questions, so I wanted to get to those. Um, before I do that, I just needed to... Uh, Mentioned something. I got some disturbing news last night. Um, so if, if you guys don't know the history of uscfootball.com, this is our 22nd season covering, uh, the team. It started with just me writing what I thought on a GeoCities account back in 1996. And it kind of grew from there. Um, back in the early days, it was mostly just a message board and my thoughts and writing. And the message board became really big and we had a lot of, uh, outspoken posters that were a lot of fun. And uh, I had a great time talking about the team. It was during the Hackett years, turning into the Pete Carroll years, and things started to springboard from there. But uh, one of our longtime posters, uh, his name's John, John Geller. Uh, MVT is what he was known as on the site. And uh, he suddenly passed away last night. Um, his son, he hadn't been on the, the message boards for a while, um, but he was you know, a long time. People, if you've been on uscfootball.com a long time, you do remember him. But he was kind of vicariously living through his son, who he introduced me, he's still in high school, Austin, uh, a couple years ago. Actually, we had a, uh, I think we had like a 20th anniversary party, spring game tailgate at the Coliseum. And uh, John came by and brought his son so I could meet him. And we chatted. And Austin's been doing a great job with us interning, um, you know, transcribing stuff, writing some stories for us. And he's been great. And, uh, Austin texted me last night, just devastating news. My you know, hearts and prayer, you know, prayers, thoughts and prayers and our hearts go out to the Geller family, to Austin and everybody. Um, certainly John will be missed if, uh, you know, we haven't seen him on the message boards, but been, you know, connected through Facebook in the last several years. He had kind of turned his life around with being in shape and, um, running, doing all these events. He would, 
post updates of these events he was running. And, and Austin told me he had just seen a cardiologist, uh, within the last couple of weeks and got a clean bill of health and, um, to have a heart attack, uh, just like that out of the blue, it just, you know, makes you pause and wonder, you know, life is fleeting. It's, it's very fragile. And, uh, no matter what any one of us can go at any time. So, um, it's, and it's, this comes on the back of if, you know, again, in the Texas game, Sean Adams, who is a friend of mine and has covered Texas for many, many years. I'd met him. One of the first people I met in this industry through rivals, we met down at a publisher convention. He's 46 years old, college athlete, really good shape, stays active, heart attack and died. And just, you know, again, had seen a cardiologist recently. So, um, this is, you know, two people I've known in the last few weeks, uh, that were very healthy and, and suddenly passed away. So I just wanted to give a shout out to MVT. He was one of the guys that really helped us grow. Posters like him really helped us grow uscfootball.com to where it is now. So without him and without some of those guys, we just wouldn't be able to, to do that. So, um, I just wanted to mention that. And I don't, you know, many of our podcast listeners probably didn't know him or never heard of him, but he was one of the kind of pioneering posters that we had, uh, up on our website. So, uh, shout out to him. Um, yeah. So sorry to kind of start off on that note. Uh, we, we, we will have a great show. We're going to talk to Dan, um, a little bit later on. He, uh, does a great job, uh, for utezone.com. Um, it's U-T-E-Z-O-N-E.com. So we're going to talk about that, but I want to answer some of these questions and stuff first. So let's dive into that. All right. We got a text question from old master Q. Interesting. A long time lurker on the boards. First time question asker. This question can be answered by anyone. In light of the injuries this season, can we reasonably say there could be more than just bad luck? Uh, would we need to take a look at strength and conditioning? Is Ivan Lewis as a good strength and conditioning coach? Uh, thanks. That's, that's something that comes up a lot, uh, Master Q. Um, we don't really get to see what they're doing most of the time. I mean, we can see them stretch and stuff like that. Um, I'm no kinesiology expert about, you know, sometimes injuries just happen. Um, but you know, there's, we've had people bring up those kind of questions before. I, I, I don't say, you know, knowing how or why student athletes, football players get injured is certainly not uh, my area of expertise. I can tell you that. People have brought that up, uh, before we would have to have some sort of kind of expert. I've had people tell me that, you know, uh, when Ivan Lewis was at Washington, there was kind of a problem there. It's just hard for me to, I think everyone has different philosophies as far as how you build strength, how you build speed, how you build agility and translate it from what you're doing with the medicine ball or a weight or whatever off, off the field to something that, you know, translates on the field. Um, and part of it is being able to, uh, do whatever you can to prevent injuries. Um, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, the more of them come up, I think people were questioning after the, um, the combine too, because the offensive linemen were so poor at, you know, bench presses and running and things like that. So there, there's definitely been some questions there, but that's, that's kind of one of those things that it's like a backup court. Like it's just a cliche sort of thing. Like, oh, you always look, blame the strength coach or when you hire a new staff or, the, the team needs to turn things around. Everyone put, oh, they got this great strength coach and he's going to make things awesome. So again, it's one of those things where it's always like you get a lot of praise or you get a lot of blame. And I'm not exactly sure. I can, I couldn't say for certain. Yes, it's Ivan Lewis's fault or no, he has nothing to do with it. It's just, it's just really hard to say. 
Brian said, uh, since Dan and Coach Hyde have already had their podcast, this question will be for Ryan on a solo podcast. Well, that's why we're here, Brian. Um, when the offense struggles, there's always a mention to the days of Norm Chow and the great job he did with all the USC offenses. This thing, uh, the thing that I really, I uh, can really remember about his play calling was that, he, uh, you knew the plays he was calling. I'm sorry. You knew the plays he was calling plays in the first half. I'm not sure what you mean there, Brian, that would set up things for the second half. Okay. So he was, so you're saying he wanted, you knew that the plays he called in the first half were setting things up for the second half. Question is, uh, and I'll even give you a look back at last year. Have you seen last season or this season with our play calling that T is calling the plays to set things up for later in the game, or is he just calling things at random? Do you think they are being stubborn with the refusal to address the glaring issues that we all see? Uh, thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, I think Dan Weber uses the term grab bagging quite a bit. And I think you see some of that. Um, sometimes there's a, a good flow. And a lot of times it's early in the game where you, you know, normally things are scripted and stuff like that. You see a good flow, uh, but not always. And, and I think that's where people are kind of pointing out some of the problems. You don't see that flow. You don't see that. Um, this is setting up that, uh, it seems like you do something that could set something else up, but then you get away from that. Um, and you know, I think it's hard to having, basically you're having like two offensive coordinators, Tyson and T just structurally to me, that doesn't work as well. Um, I mean, we're not up there. We're not seeing how they're doing that. It might work flawlessly, but when you're looking at the play calls and it seems like there's some holes and deficiencies and there's a bigger issue like that, like, well, maybe if it was just one voice and not people sharing and, and maybe one of those guys would be on the field. I don't know. If you see the offense continue to struggle, I think Clay Helton will make some sort of change on that front. Um, as far as like, Hey, maybe one of those guys comes down on the field and you can talk to Sam in person. Um, cause you don't really see Sam with a headset or anything like that too. So I think communication and all that can be a little bit of an issue. And then having too many cooks in the kitchen, I think can be a bit of an issue too, but it's, you know, everyone has different philosophies. Uh, that was definitely Norm Chow. I think Norm Chow's offenses were simplistic for players, but looked complex for defenses, which I think ideally that's what you'd want, right? You want something that, I mean, you could have the best offense in the world. And if your players can't understand it, it doesn't matter. So if you make it simple enough for your players that they're not going to make a bunch of mistakes because they forgot a route or did the wrong read or protection or whatever, but it wasn't simple looking to the defense. You're just not really sure what the defense, not sure what's going to happen. That seems good. I think that's kind of like what Norm Chow was good at. Jason Longhorn country. Uh, why is Rojo not getting the ball more? I know he dropped the pass Saturday. However, by my calculations, he's averaging eight yards per reception or carry in the last two games. Uh, but only has 28 total receptions or carries. Even if you take into account the drop pass, then he's still gaining 7.72 yards per target or carry. With a home run hitter like that in our roster, the more touches he gets, the higher the probability that he will hit that home run. It just seems odd that the focus on our offense has moved away from him, especially with a quarterback who is struggling, and the number two running back going down. Fight on, Jason Longhorn Country. Yeah, great point. I think there was a stat. It might have been the, the Rain of Troy guys put it out or – Rated for people because Alicia is a girl. Um, that if Rojo gets 15 carries or more, USC hasn't lost. So that would be, and he didn't get that against Oregon State. USC still won, but yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's a great point. And, uh, he's someone that you need to get the ball, especially with Stephen Carr out. I think sometimes the USC brain trust is trying to force certain things to happen 
balance for the sake of balance. If, if, you know, Hey, this is a game we got to get Sam Darnold a bunch of, uh, throws downfield. We got to get him, uh, you know, get him some stats. We got to get him back on track. In that game, I think you could have run all through them. Um, Darnold had a lot of time to throw and I think it allowed him to maybe get his confidence back. So maybe in the long run, that's a good thing. But in general, yes, um, I think he, uh, should definitely get the ball more. He now, his hands are still like not great. Um, but they've had some good, you know, good plays. At, but I'm not sure. I think you'd rather be throwing it to Stephen Carr. I don't think you rally would, you would rather would be, but he's not around there. So if it's one of those plays where he's kind of sprinting out and you have to like hit him in the hands, he's on the run, like, uh, you know, maybe not do those, those little kind of swinging things or timing's got to work great. But if he's sitting down into a zone and you can get him a ball as an outlet or something and help him turn around and run, I like that a lot better because I think he's got a better chance of catching that one. Tarek, should Sam Darnold wear a glove to help gripping the ball? Um, never, I, I, you know, I don't remember him bringing this up. Uh, that was the first, he said that was the first time in his career that a ball slipped out like that. So I don't think, uh, it's a particular problem. Um, you know, it just happened one time. So I wouldn't like change how he does it. Quarterbacks, it's all about feel and you want your hands on the ball. I, he could do that at some point, but I don't see that being uh, a big issue. All right, let's, uh, I want a quick, uh, timeout here. I want to talk about, uh, one of our sponsors who's been great and I love it, Blue Apron. Um, they're actually celebrating their fifth anniversary, uh, and they're going to bring back their top 20 recipes over the past five years. So I can't believe Blue Apron's been around, but if you haven't done it, uh, your favorite Blue, a- Re- Blue Apron recipes are going to be back. They're back on the menu, but it's a limited time only. So they're all about giving people fresh recipes to explore as they learn to cook new dishes after new dishes, which is why, and many people don't realize this, they don't repeat recipes. So with one calendar year, they keep coming out with new stuff. So it's a really cool way to cook at home. They make it really easy. I I highly recommend it. So try out the Blue Apron's all-time customer favorites by going to blueapron.com slash uh, peristyle. So the latest one we did was a rust, uh, a roasted pork and mustard pan sauce. So it, I like this because I'm kind of a meat and potatoes guy in a lot of ways. So it's like pork roast and potatoes are like the main ingredient. But when you look at it, if you're going to make it for your wife or your boyfriend or whatever, or for your family, it looks really cool. It looks like, Oh, this, this doesn't look like pork and potatoes sort of dish. Uh, they got the, this great sauce that you make, um, uh, with mustard. Um, like I said, in the mustard pan sauce and the vegetables look really cool with these little onions on top and, uh, the blue apron. So if you ever had one, you order it and they deliver it to you. Uh, you put it in the fridge and then you make it when you want, but they give this like, uh, kind of, um, card, cardstock colored, uh, sheet that you get to do your recipes and stuff on. And so it shows you exactly what to do. It tells you like what wine you can pair it with. And it gives you a little fun facts. If you ever like the pop-up video from, uh, um, VH1. So in this one, it says asparagus. Did you know in ideal conditions, asparagus, asparagus can grow up to 10 inches a day. So really kind of cool stuff like that. Um, but I love it because it's, I like to cook too, just like, you know, recipes and stuff. This makes it so much easier. All the ingredients are, are laid out for you. Like when you see in the cooking shows when they need like uh, a tablespoon of whatever, they have a little dish that has exactly a tablespoon. That's kind of what this is like. Like you, they're, they've made it for you and you're doing a cooking show and everything's already pr- pr- proportioned out and you cut it up or saute it or whatever you got to do and put it together. So definitely check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash peristyle. Uh, great stuff. Um, yeah, hope you guys uh, enjoy it. So what we have, they actually, um, 
So this week, you're going to get $30 off your first meal and you're going to get free shipping. So blueapron.com slash peristyle. Uh, you're going to love how good it feels. It tastes. It's incredible food cooked at home. So don't wait. Blueapron.com slash peristyle. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. So that's not bad. 30 bucks off your first meal and free shipping. So definitely go check that out. All right. Let's jump back into the questions here. We got, uh, Krishna, Newport Beach. It says, Hey, Ryan, Dan, Harvey Hyde, Chuck on Keeley, longtime listener. Love the work you guys do. Keep us informed and up to date with all things USC football. This is my first time emailing in. Uh, what is the logic behind burning Randall Grimes red shirt for one or two plays? Did I miss something? And were we, were we hurting on wide receivers? Why not get some more of the red shirt wide receivers? And instead, all we were doing was running out the clock. Uh, keep up the great work. Thanks in advance. Fight on from Krishna. A great question. And, uh, Keely tweeted this out from the sideline. Like, why is he going in the game? I think it's, and we talked to Clay Helton about this yesterday, to be fair. And he said, He's someone that they want to come in and contribute on special teams and stuff too. So it's not just about coming in and getting some garbage time at wide receiver. Now, who knows? He may be able to help. Um, you know, it's, they've got a bunch of guys there. I agree with you. Like we haven't seen much of like the Joseph Lewis's of the world. Finally, Tyler Vaughn's my dude is getting in there and he's a regular now, which is great, but you got Jalen Green is coming back too. It's not like they need, you know, an eighth receiver or whatever it is, you know, whatever number he's going to be. But I think he's going to contribute on special teams as well. So I think that's part of, of what was going on there. Don said, taking an E on the last to end USC's last possession was genius. Helton didn't want to be embarrassed knowing USC would not convert. Um, I don't know about that, but that's Matt Fink was looking pretty good. I think they would have converted easily and USC would actually cover the spread. Um, but USC took an E there. Utah will beat, Utah will be beat up physically. Uh, he says, Utah will be beat up physically by Utah. Maybe USC. I don't know. I'm going to talk about and definitely out coach. I think so. Yeah. I think he's being critical. So I think he means USC would be beat up physically by Utah. Uh, Utah got beat up a little bit by Stanford last weekend. Notre Dame will be like a pit bull with a rag doll. USC is the rag doll and will be beaten badly. Even the poorly coached UCLA team will score too many points for a feeble USC offense. Looks like a four-loss season. Becoming apparent that Sam's miraculous season last year will not be duplicated by Helton's poor coaching and game management. Don. So Don, not a big fan of the coaching staff, obviously. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, to me, though, these are the, the most important two games coming up for USC. Utah and Notre Dame. I mean, Utah for the South and Notre Dame uh, to keep that kind of playoff hopes if you do that alive. And it's it's... Less about the results. I mean, you need to win these games. It's more about looking like USC did last year. They haven't looked like that. If they're not going to look like that, then they're not that. I mean, it's been six games. Um, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, they've been winning. Uh, besides that one at Washington State, if they can beat these two teams, even ugly, if you beat these two teams ugly, you don't feel as bad. Like, that's, they're going to be two difficult games. So um, we'll see, Don, but obviously you're not a big fan of the coaching staff. Kevin in North Tustin, sitting at home, following you and all the other beat writers on Twitter. Can't see the game thanks to my to cousin Larry and the Pac-12 Network's lack of a direct TV deal. I sure I'm stoked they locked in with uh, Alibaba over in China, but I digress. Yeah, good point there. Uh, appears the team looked good to start, and then the special teams prove they are something. Uh, seems like the kids are lackadaisical. This keeps coming back to coaching. Maybe it's just me, but Clay reminds me of Larry Coker at Miami. Super good guy. Really cares about people. Prayer, uh, players rally for him. Loads 
of talent at the U. Guy won a natty but couldn't motivate anyone after their premier guys left the program. Uh, then he was at UTEP. Not saying that Clay's de- that's Clay's destiny, but man, this is rough. The only game SC has looked good was Stanford. It's embarrassing to all the prior SC teams who own Stanford in the Pac-8, 10, less so the Pac-12 throughout history. Honesty hurts, but I'm frustrated with this staff. Just saying, Kevin and North Tustin. Yeah, Kevin, I don't think you're alone. There's a lot of people that are kind of frustrated with what's going on here, but like, you know, Clay said they're five and one. They control their own destiny. They said a lot of stuff how they played well against Oregon State, which I don't agree with, but I mean, he's right though. This team, if they went out, I think they're going to the playoff, uh, barring some crazy thing. I think they're going for sure if they went out. So everything is still in front of them, but they're not playing as well as they were at this point last year at the halfway point. That's kind of the issue there. But as far as like, Recruit like Clay's a really good recruiter too. He's bringing in guys, so it's not like he's going to come in and try to win for a couple of years with somebody else's players and then he's done, like a Larry Smith did or stuff like that. Uh, I think Clay's a good, you know, he's a really good recruiter, and um, you know, I th- I think it's not a the best recruiting staff, but they got some really good recruiters on the staff. It's just it's kind of uneven where there's a couple guys that are really good and a couple guys that don't really care about recruiting, and I would like to see that kind of change where either they get into recruiting more or you 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 have. Usually USC has a staff that has a bunch of recruiters. Um, that's really not been this one. Let's see, Don, I do believe the injuries are due to a lack of contact during practice. It's like asking someone who works out at the gym and looks great to do an eight hour hard labor job. They can, they cannot do it. Whereas the little guy works at a hard eight hour a day job and does the same job very easily. Help needs to watch an Alabama practice or Stanford practice. They love to hit as often as possible. So this is more coming back to the, uh, this isn't really about strength and conditioning. This is more about, um, hitting at practice. And Clay Hilton did run some ones versus ones yesterday. They have been kind of getting away from that. And, and Wednesday's practice, they did more of that. So I don't know, Don, they might be moving more in that direction. Um, you're not seeing like Oklahoma drills and stuff like that. And maybe they're putting too much emphasis on there's no bye week. But, you know, you could argue they got the most beat up in the, the week that they took as much more time off of practice or they did less only one day, no, no days of full pads leading up to Washington State. They ended up losing that game, but also getting a bunch of guys injured too. So I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of theories about you should do much lighter work or you should do heavy, heavy, heavy work. The NCAA is mandating a lot of the stuff people back off contact and hitting and things like that. So it's not like, what USC is doing is, um, you know, weird because most other, you know, a lot, that's, that's kind of what everyone's doing. Now, maybe it, it's at a point where you're like, look, this, what this team needs to be is more physical. So, um, and I know guys like David Shaw didn't like some of the rule changes because he feels he knows how to handle, uh, physical practices, two a day practices in a way that's in a, a smart way that, will be beneficial to his players. So when the NCAA mandates something like no more two-a-days, but they add an extra week of practice, he's saying that's bull because I can control what's going on at two-a-days. I would rather not have an extra week of practice because that's a longer time. And so, yeah, that, I think sometimes you have rules coming down from people that don't quite understand. They think they're helping um, just by saying, you know, hey, this is what's going to help. But it's, you know, yeah, it looks like on the surface, yeah, taking two-a-days away, that's going to be, be beneficial. But Guys like David Shaw are really smart are saying, no, that's not necessarily the case. You have to do what we're doing in an intelligent way, in a, in a way that makes sense. So 
Thanks for that one, Don. We got one last one and we're going to start our preview. Gene and, uh, from the OC. He said, by the way, excellent job on all the podcasts. There's never a lack of information on this website. Uh, thanks very much, Gene. Question. Does the pocket seem to be closing a lot faster this year? It seems like last year's offensive line pass protection was a strong quality of the offense, uh, through most of the year. Whereas the season, this season appears Sam is forced to move and make adjustments from the snap on most pass plays. Injuries can't be used as an explanation as this has been present from the first games of the season. Has this factor messed with Sam's overall timing during our games? Gene in Orange County. Thanks for that one. Um, I mean, that obviously, what is different about Sam, what is different about the offense is like the $64,000 question. I just did a piece, excuse me, up on uscfootball.com that you can check out. Uh, basically how USC and Sam Darnold handled the pressure. Uh, Pro Football Focus did a great study to show last year against the Blitz, Darnold was number one in the country. Against pressure, he was number two in the country as far as passer ratings go. So he was the best when there was pressure. That's what made this offense run is there was a lot of breakdowns. They happened, but he was able to sense them. I think he had the, the sense in the pocket to get away from the Blitz. He had the athletic ability to to, to get away from it after he sensed it. And he had great vision and arm talent. So he could see guys open downfield for a chunk play and the arm talent to deliver the ball uh, where it needed to be. So you could make a big play out of it. So you basically turned what could have been a sack or maybe should have been a sack into a chunk play. And that's huge. It moves the sticks. It's demoralizing to the defense. And that's, that's what made this, in my opinion, made this USC offense run last year, his ability to do that. We're not seeing that this year. And I charted every one of his throws from the Oregon State game. Now, Pro Football Focus did a study, uh, a, a released numbers from the Washington State game, said that Sam Darnold had a 0-0 passer rating uh, when, when under pressure. So, obviously, that's a far cry from what we saw last year. I charted it again and... uh so he was 21 of 28 for 299 yards when he had a clean pocket. And he was 2 of 7 for 17 yards when he was under pressure uh, with an interception, uh, another near interception, and two fumbles, one that he lost. So night and day. Now, if you look at those numbers, he was really only under pressure seven times, or, or I think nine nine times, because um, there was the, the two sacks, or the two fumbles, sack fumbles. Um so he was under pressure nine times as opposed to uh, 29 on the other side because there was one scramble. So there was a scramble and 28 pass attempts when he had a clean pocket. So he was protected really well in the Oregon State game. Now, Oregon State's terrible. I'm going to try to keep charting this as we go through the season, so I'll give you more data. And he should be under pressure a lot more against Utah. But I'd definitely go check out that story on USCfootball.com. Um, and I kind of give you some more details about what's going on there. So in this last game, it wasn't the pressure, but when he was pressured, there wasn't a lot of pressure, but when he was pressured, he didn't perform as well. And I talked to Tyson Helton. There's a couple quotes from him. There's a quote from Sam Darnold about being blitzed. So Tyson says that you need to, to be accurate on the run. You got to keep your shoulders square. Um, and you got to be going down, downhill. Uh, so you can't be like, back foot, things like that. So he did some throws on the run uh, that were designed when he had a clean pocket. And he was really good in those throws. Um, 
yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but so I think it was like four or five or something like that. So in those throws that when he was on the move, but those were like designed rollouts and stuff. The ones where he was on the move by necessity because the, the pressure got there certainly wasn't very efficient. So, um, is it a combination of, I think it's, it's gotta be a combination of things, but you should feel fairly confident with the wide receivers now. Not as much with the tight ends. Um, if Daniel Metterbebe comes back, that'll be big. He did practice in full pads this week for the first time. But I think you can feel good about throwing to Deontay Burnett. You can feel good about throwing to Tyler Vaughns. I think he feels pretty good about throwing to Stephen Mitchell. So by now, it shouldn't be about the young receivers. I think you feel good throwing to any of those guys. Um, and with the offensive line, they might be back to just about full strength in this game. Uh, Lobodon's playing. He played the last game. Uh, Chuma Doga practiced, uh, Wednesday. So he could end up starting at right tackle. And Andrew Voorhees, he's the, he would be the one new guy at right, at right guard with Viani, with Viani out for the season. But I think you feel pretty confident in his abilities too. He's played a lot this season. So, um, you know, most of the line should be back together. So it should be set up pretty well, but this is going to be, you know, the toughest defensive front that USC faced. Um, this season, they're really good. They're really big. So it's a little bit different. You know, Washington State gave them troubles with shooting gaps and, um, quickness. And this is going to be, I think there's some quickness there on the Utah defensive line, but there's strength and there's size. So a whole different challenge, uh, for this, uh, USC offensive line this week. So, all right. Good stuff. Um, those are all the, the questions that I have. So what we got coming up next. Uh, Dan Sorensen, he's the publisher of UteZone.com, part of the 247 uh, Scout Network. I think we're just about done being Scout. We're going to be 247 now. So um, we're going to bring on Dan in just a minute. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Happy to bring in Dan Sorensen. He's the publisher of utezone.com. Does a great job covering Utah. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at D Sorensen, S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. What is up, Dan? How you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? Can't complain. It's college football, like uh, midway through the season, and this is a huge one uh, in the Pac-12 South. So uh, it's not the must; it's it's in the Coliseum. So you know, maybe we'll see, we'll see if USC has an advantage there. But uh, really looking forward to this one. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny because you, you know who would have thought? Well, maybe maybe that's what 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 it was set up to begin with at the beginning of the season. But you know, USC, you know, uh, being undefeated in conference and Utah having the one loss, but you know, not losing to anybody in the South, you know, this game could very well decide, you know, who wins the South title. For sure. And that's, uh, you know, it's early, but this is a real, I think a real big one in the Pac-12 South. Um, I wanted to talk, well, first, before we jump in here, I've always loved your, your Twitter logo, the, the yay taco thing. Is there a story <laughs> behind that? Like if you follow Dan, you'll see this yay taco logo thing out there what is the story behind that 
You know, it's something that I saw years ago when Twitter was new and uh, I decided that that was going to be my logo. You know, for me, every day is National Taco Day, so I, I, I roll with it now. It, it's, it's, it's part of my personal brand. Yes. I mean, it's, it, you always know, like when people change their like avatars or whatever sometimes, but you always know, oh, this is coming. This is a Dan thing when uh, the Yay Taco logo scrolls by your screen. Um, the uh, I want to talk about the Stanford game a little bit. We kind of mentioned it before uh, we went on the air. Um, this was kind of a, a weird one. And, you know, Stanford did a lot of Stanford things. Utah did a lot of U- Utah things. But if you listen to Kyle Whittingham afterwards, he was not happy. They didn't force a turnover. Wasn't happy with the long snapping, which I believe that's his son doing the long snapping. And then, of course, the turnovers late in the game. Uh, Troy Williams seemed like he tried to do way too much and throws a couple of picks. And if he doesn't throw those picks, I mean, Utah could have won that game easily. I, I don't know what any kind of takeaways you had from that one. Yeah, I mean, and you're absolutely right in the sense that it was very much a Stanford game and very much a Utah game. I mean, Utah's game plan is they're going to play stout defense, they're going to have excellent special teams, and they're hoping that the offense will do enough to, you know, come out ahead. And by and large, you know, the the Utes did that. I mean, Bryce Love had two long runs. So he had, he had 28, I think, 28 carries or 25 carries, and, and only two of those were, were ones that he broke away. Unfortunately, one of them was a 68-yard touchdown, which ended up being the difference in the game. But, you know, I thought the Utah defense did a really solid job of bottling him up. They held him to his lowest totals in terms of carries and, and yards per carry of the year. You know, and so they, they did their job, and, you know, the offense just – you know, and those two turnovers in the fourth quarter, especially, are just killers. You know, uh, Williams, uh, the first interception came on, on a ball where he was being pressured. He threw off his back foot while he was falling down and just threw it up for grabs and it got tipped around a little bit. And, you know, you can't do that against a, a Pac-12 defense, against any Pac-12 defense. And the second one was him just trying to go deep on a ball that wasn't there. And, you know, the receiver had a step, but he underthrew it, and, and, and the defensive back made a good play on the ball. And, and, and I agree with you in the sense that he was trying to do too much. If, if they stick with the running game, if they, you know, you know, are trying to dink and dunk their way down the field, um, that was very much a winnable game for the Utes, and it's one that, that they're upset because they, they let get away from them. You know, Kyle Whittingham is a stickler on turnovers. It's a, the most important thing to him is take care of the ball on offense and force turnovers on defense. Stanford doesn't turn the ball over. That's just who they are this year. And, you know, and they did a great job in terms of, you know, they had, you know, max protect all night. They kept the Utah defensive, defensive line, you know, away from the quarterback. You know, the Utes couldn't get any, any of the havoc plays that Kyle Whittingham looks for on defense. And so, you know, and, and that, that was the difference. Um, uh, weird game in some ways. You mentioned the long snapping. It's been a problem all year long, especially in the punt game. It's, Every punt is an, is an adventure with the Utes. And, you know, they've got arguably the best punter in the country. He won the Ray Guy Award last year. But, you know, he's, I can probably count on one hand the, the number of clean snaps that he's gotten. And there was, there was a bad snap that, that led to a, a, a very short field for Stanford in, in the game, and uh, which was also, you know, the Utes were able to hold him to a field goal, but they lost by three. And so, you yeah. know, you just can't make those mistakes against a, a – you know, and Stanford's not – the the juggernaut that they once were but they're still a good football team and you can't make those types of mistakes against a good football team and expect to win yeah um when you look at special teams utah usually has like the best kicker the best punter in the conference to have a snapping problem especially 
the coach's son. Is there has anything been changed, or are they, do you think he's going to do something different? Because he said it was like, hey, it was good in the spring, it was good in the fall, it's just not good now. Yeah, well, and part of it is they had a, a long snapper scheduled to come in and, and take over, and he got hurt. So and so the, the the guys that are doing it, including Alex Whittingham, you know, they're stepping in and, and helping out the team where there really wasn't. You know, anybody, you know, how many teams have, have a legitimate backup snapper? You know, not very many. You know, and, and Utah still does have the best kicker in the conference, at least statistically right now. He's missed one field. The, the place kicker has missed Matt Gay. He's missed one field goal all year. It was a 50 yarder. Um, everything inside of 50 he's, he's made. Um, I think he's among the leading scorers in the country. And then Mitch Wisnowski, of course, is, is a fantastic punter. And so the, the, the snapping game has been an issue. Um, they're going to go with a, a new punting long snapper for this game. So uh, Alex Whittingham's just going to be on on extra points and field goals. Um, the, the, the new long snapper in the punt game is going to be a, a starting tight end, actually, Harrison Handley. Um, so we'll see how he does. Um, there's rumors that um, the uh, the long snapper that they brought in for fall camp uh, is, is actually going to be able to play. He's overcome his injury. We'll see if that's true. For those that don't follow the Utah football program closely, injuries are treated like a state secret. It is almost impossible to get any information about anybody that's been hurt unless it's a season ender. So, um, you know, there, there might be some changes made there, but, uh, you know, it, it's something that, you know, if, I, if I'm a USC fan, um, I can't wait for Utah to punt because there's opportunity there. It's funny. Um, USC ended up losing its long snapper as well. So we got long snapper injury issues, I guess, going into this game. But the, the greatest, maybe the greatest extra point I've ever seen, Gay made that one in the, in the game. And it was like a beat the spread or tie the spread sort of extra point. That one was crazy last week. It, it, it was fantastic. And so for, for people that didn't see it, basically what happened was, uh, the snap was a little off kilter. Uh, the holder went to put the, the hold, the ball on the ground and it slipped out of his hands. And so the ball was lying sideways. And as he's trying to pick it up, Matt Gay was, was into his stride to do the kick and stopped and started again and then just muscled the ball underneath the arm of an oncoming uh, rusher and just barely over the, uh, uh, the, the goalpost. And uh, I agree with you. It's, it's probably the best place kick that I've ever seen. It's, you know, Matt Gay was a, was a college soccer player. He played at Utah Valley University before he came to Utah as a walk-on this year. And uh, you could definitely see his soccer skills, uh, you know, in, in full effect on that kick. But uh, it's, it's on Twitter. If you haven't seen it, you need to look at it because it's, it's hilarious. And it's probably the the most astounding kick I've seen as well. Yeah, crazy stuff. I, I love that we're, we're starting this preview and talk a lot about special teams, but Utah does an amazing job at special teams. USC's been kind of eh at best on special teams, so we'll see if that ends up playing a big factor in this one. I mean, the biggest factor to me, and you know, and uh, you know, David Woods and I do our our Pac-12 podcast. We're both really high on Troy Williams. We've seen him in high school and stuff. He had a great game against USC. Last year, but once you saw Tyler Huntley come in there and really take this Utah offense from they have a quarterback to they have a quarterback. You know, it was not someone that was just kind of managing the game. It was someone that was making plays and really making this Utah offense in the quarterback position specifically a really dynamic, you know, playmaking position, not one that was just kind of a placeholder. I don't know if you see it that way, but 
to me, and we don't know if he's going to play or not, but it's, it seems like there's going to be two different teams, whether Troy Williams comes in or Tyler Huntley comes in. You're 100% correct. And, and, and Huntley, you know, and he was a revelation. You know, going through, we didn't see a lot of fall camp. They closed most of practices other than 20 minutes per session. And so we didn't see a lot of Huntley in camp, but we just kept hearing things about how good he was going to be. And so when Whittingham named him the starter at the beginning of the season, it was a shock to most of the media that cover the team on a daily basis because we knew he was good, but everybody was thinking, well, you know, Troy Williams, you know, won nine games last year and, and played adequately and he played hurt for most of the year. He got hurt in that USC game and wasn't quite the same guy since then. But, you know, he was good enough. He, he was good enough to win games in the Pac-12. And so we just thought that he was going to come in and be able to, to run that new system. And, and Huntley has just been something else. You know, he's got fantastic speed. Uh, he can make plays with his legs. He's great in the option game. He's, uh, you know, he's a, he's a threat to score every time he, he runs it. Um, and more importantly, he's, he's accurate. He's got a fantastic arm and he's completing 70% of his passes. And, and in this, this new Utah offense, you know, that's, that's what they, they need is they need a guy that can, can complete passes and, and move the ball down the field. And so, you know, Huntley completing 70% of his balls and Trey Williams is in the two games that he's played, you know, the, the, the last three quarters of the game against Arizona and then the game against Stanford, he's been 53% completion percentage and then 51% completion percentage. And that's just not good enough to get the job done. And, you know, Williams does some things very well. He throws a, a better deep ball than anybody on the Utah roster, including Huntley. Um, and, and, and he's really able to beat teams over the top, but he's more of a feast or famine guy when he, and he'll make big plays against everybody in the conference. He'll do that. But, he really struggles in the short and the medium passing game. And, you know, and that was evident against Stanford. And, you know, if, if he, if he gets the start against USC and once again, we don't know what's going on with the Huntley situation. We know it's a shoulder injury. It's on his throwing shoulder. We know that, but we don't know the extent of it. And so there's a possibility that Huntley will play. And there's a possibility that Williams will play. If Huntley plays, you know, I expect. Um, you know, a dynamic offense. I expect a lot of read option. I expect a lot of, uh, you know, especially hitting hitting guys on the underneath routes. Uh, Huntley tends to not go very deep. Um, you know, he, he doesn't try to test people over the top, but uh, he's able to extend plays. And he's, he's got, you know, great accuracy. And with a receiver like Darren Carrington, you know, they made a great connection early on. And, and uh, you know, that, that was a, a really dangerous combo uh, for opposing defenses. If Williams gets the start, you know, I expect um, – a slower, more methodical offense. And, you know, if he can play like he did against USC last year, the Utes have a shot, but he has not played that way, um, certainly not this season. And, and, and it's a concern for Utah fans. Um, the the uh, SID staff at Utah does a great job with their game notes and stuff. And one of the more interesting notes I saw from there, uh, they said Utah is 1-7 against the Trojans on the road. Looking for its first win in the Coliseum, where the Utes are 0-5, Utah's lone road win over USC dates back more than a century to 1916 in Fiesta Park. I don't even know what that is. Uh, one, of, <laughs> one of eight home sites for the Trojans before they moved to the Coliseum in 1923. So Utah's at one in L.A. since 1916, which I thought was baffling. Well, it's it's a weird number, and at the same time, you know, it's it's you know, how many times did they play before they became you know members of the Pac-12 conference, you know, and so you see that hundred-year number, and and it's it's pretty mind-boggling. But you know, five or six times is all that they've played, and you know, it's it's not surprising that that Utah hasn't won 
in, in Los Angeles in, in that time. And, and I know Dan, Dan Weber and I were had a, a back and forth with our five questions pieces we were doing. And he was asking me about that, you know, what I thought of that or if Utah fans thought of that. And, and my response was, you know, not really because, you know, it's not like this is happening every, every year or every two years where, you know, we just can't beat USC, you know, down in the Coliseum. Now, you know, um, I don't necessarily expect Utah to get their first win this weekend. They can, they're capable of it, but, uh, it's not something I'm holding my breath for, but uh, it is a really weird number, and I, it's it's one that I'm sure that the Utah coaches would love to uh, to strike that one from the books. Yeah, that's it's kind of weird, but yeah, like if it was like Cal or something that they've played for the last you know 80 years, you know every year or whatever, like that would make sense. It'd be like crazy. Like uh, Oregon State hadn't won in the Coliseum since like 1959 or 60 or something like that, so that was kind of a weird one uh, last year because they play all the time. You know, they 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 play. Uh, on a regular basis, not just like a handful of times over decades, like uh, Utah and USC had played. Um, talking to Clay Helton yesterday, he uh, talked about the Utah defensive front. Um, they might even change up what they do in practice a little bit, playing a little bit more ones versus ones, uh, trying to simulate, you know, the especially the edge rushers. He said it'll be the biggest, I believe he said the best, defensive front they're going to face and it especially pointed out the uh the edge rushers it just seems like utah every year has a really stout impressive defensive front maybe tell uh, some of the usc fans about what they're going to see uh from that utah front seven uh come saturday yeah and it's it's at this point you know it's expected that utah's defensive line is going to be a dominant unit and that that's really you know they're known for defense and they build their defense around what's going on in the front four. And, you know, they, they do just such a great job of identifying talent early and then develop, developing them in the system. You know, for the guys that, that you're going to expect to see on Saturday, you know, the two starting defensive tackles for Utah are probably the best that Utah or that USC will face all year, including the guys at Washington. You know, you've got Lowell Lotulele, who played, I thought, his best game as a Ute against Stanford. He was commanding double teams all day long and just still uh, just wreaking havoc and, and dominating the line of scrimmage. You know, he's a guy that's expected to go, you know, early in the NFL draft this year. Uh, next to him is Filippo Mocafisi, who has been, frankly, more impactful, especially in terms of big plays and tackles for loss this season than Lowell's been. But Filippo is a four-year starter as well. And so you've got a, a lot of experience for the two starting defensive tackles. And then you've got a rotation of of, of four players that they roll in um, on top of those two at the defensive tackle spot that they're really comfortable with. John Penasini is a junior college transfer that uh, has played extremely well. He's the strongest of the bunch. Uh, Lecky Fotu is is a, a man-child. He's a sophomore. He actually got the start at defensive end last week against Stanford um, uh, because uh, of Kylie Fitz's injury and um, uh, played his best game as a Ute last week. And, uh, uh, and then there's a, a, a kid named Peter Tonga that's a, a redshirt freshman, just came off of an LDS mission that uh, has played exceptionally well. So that defensive tackle rotation is is talented and they're deep so they don't get tired late in games, which is a real huge asset to the Utes. On the outside, um, the Utes have been a little bit banged up. They they were missing both of their starting defensive ends against Stanford. Um, Kylie Fitz, uh, the, the, the former UCLA signee, he's a senior this year and uh, I think he's one of the elite defensive ends in the conference. He's a good pass rusher. Um, he's, he's caused a lot of problems for opposing quarterbacks this year, and he's fantastic against the run. Um, he ha- had an ankle sprain against Arizona. I expect him to be back. He dressed last week but didn't play. 
Um, so I expect him to be back this week for USC. On the other side is Bradley Anai. He's a sophomore, uh, and he's really come into his own, um, in, in, especially as a pass rusher. So, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he started the season a little bit shaky, but, but he's played good football the last couple of weeks. And then you got a couple of the backups, you know, you got guys that are more specialists that are, you know, will be third down edge rushers and that sort of thing. But, uh, but th- those two starters in particular are, are very, very good. And, and, and they're, they're guys that, you know, Utah expects to, to create pressure with their front four. Uh, and 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 free and then use the tackles to 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 free up the linebackers to make plays in the running game and and it's just it's a solid defensive line and it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what USC is able to do with them and obviously you know there's a lot of injuries on that offensive line at USC I, I understand that but the backups you know you know given their credentials out of high school I expect them to be you know as good or or almost as good as the starters would be and so it's going to be. Interesting to see what that battle in the trenches looks like. Uh, and I think it's going to be really one of the keys to the game. If, if Utah is able to push USC around, um, and, and cause pressure on Darnold, you know, that's going to be the key to winning. And then, of course, they, they, they need to stop the run game and especially uh, avoid big plays. Yeah. Ronald Jones has that capability. Um, we'll see. Stephen Carr is probably not playing this one. They're true freshman that's been. Really dynamic player. It's funny that you mentioned Kylie Fitz. USC fans probably remember he used to be a, a USC commit before he ended up, you know, signing with UCLA and, and, and now is at Utah. So he's, he's kind of, uh, he's familiar with a lot of the Pac-12 South people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, he's, he's been a really solid player for the use. He's snake bitten by injuries. You know, he, he got hurt last year, missed most of last year, which is what should have been his senior year. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, he had a concussion against San Jose State and then came back against Arizona and sprained his ankle. And, you know, just the, the guy just cannot catch a break. Yeah. Um, one of the, the big names, and it was kind of big news coming in, you know, from the offseason, Darren Carrington, uh, you know, maybe the most dynamic receiver in the conference, you could argue. Uh, you know, going from, from Oregon and, and enrolling at Utah and, and being a big factor. He had an awesome one-handed catch. He, he fumbled it in the Stanford game, but still, I mean, he's just one of those guys. And I, you know, Oregon's struggling a little bit right now. If they could have had Carrington still on the team, I think it would have helped that offense quite a bit. But what kind of boost has it given this Utah offense, especially when, you know, you had to go away from Huntley for a little while with, uh, Troy Williams, a quarterback? It, it's been night and day. You know, he, before the season and before Carrington came along, I was, that was probably the unit I was most concerned with in terms of, of how they would perform. And, you know, he came in and just gave not, not only a boost in talent, but just a boost in confidence to the whole unit. You know, he's, he's helped, he's been a leader. You know, he's helped guys as they're developing his game, but just on the field, you know, I, I agree with you. I think he's probably the best wide receiver in the entire Pac 12. You know, he's got, hands as good as anybody that I've ever seen. Um, he's got fantastic speed, good size. Um, and you know, he's, he's just been a, a dominant performer, uh, the, the entire, you know, time he's been at Utah. The, the Utes didn't really throw him the ball at all in the first half against Stanford, um, which was mind boggling to me, but you know, he still ended up with seven catches and, you know, 99 yards and a touchdown in the second half, you know, and, and that's something that I think Utah is going to try to do this week in particular is they're going to try to get him the football early and often. And really, you know, there, there's no excuse for the Utes to not give this guy, you know, at least double digit targets every single game. He's, he's that good. 
and really, you know, it, it doesn't matter who's lined up across from him. You know, he, he's a good route runner. He gets open. He makes the catch. Uh, even, you know, when guys are in his face. And, and so he's going to be a real key to the Utah offense and, and somebody, you know, to pay attention to for USC fans is if the, if USC is able to mitigate what he can do, you know, it might be a really long day for the Utah offense. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really interesting one. Uh, I, it's usually you're not seeing like two different teams. We had one caller, I think it was uh, our, our emailer for our, Pac-12 podcast that was like the Utes with with Huntley like top 10 team win the Pac-12 South without him like just you know kind of an average team and you know I don't know if, how true that is but it seems like it makes a huge difference with Huntley in there which is amazing because we've never even seen him before we you know we were kind of going into the season thinking this was all Troy Williams and you know he had some some flashes but uh, it's just been amazing what Huntley's been able to do. So just so USC fans understand, it's going to be a whole different game. Who starts this game is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and I, you know, top 10 team, I think that's probably a stretch, but certainly they're a top 20 team with Huntley. And, and, you know, if he comes back, you know, they're going to, if and when he comes back, they're going to start winning football games uh, at, at a higher clip than they would with Williams. Yeah. Uh, we'll see, but it's, it's funny. I, you know, I know it's challenging for you because, you're talking about the game. You're talking about the team. It's like it's almost like two different teams. You're not really sure which one to to talk about. But that that'll be so. Everyone, you know, tune in ABC uh, five o'clock. Who who trots out there? Is it going to be Troy? Is it going to be Tyler? We're just not sure. Um, what do you kind of think overall, Dan? Kind of going. We'll let you go on this. We're just kind of going into this one. Any kind of feeling of how this game is, is going to go? it's 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 difficult for me for that very reason um you know just not knowing who's going to start i i think it's going to be a, a close game i think it's going to be similar to the, the texas game to the washington state game where you know it, it's going to be a slugfest and that's what you get with utah you know they're going to punch you in the mouth and uh, you know they you, you know they're going to expect you to do, you to do the same to them and if, if you can't you know they're going to come away with the win um you know the, the defense is good this utah defense is as talented and as fast as any defense i've seen in the kyle whittingham era and 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 they're going to keep utah in a lot of games you know even with the talent that usc has you know on offense and, and sam darnold and we you know and we don't know which Sam Darnold's going to show up. Is it going to be the guy that, that's throwing interceptions left and right? Is it going to be the guy that's the dynamic playmaker that we know he can be? And so if, if Utah can force turnovers, uh, if Utah can, can avoid the big chunk plays, they're going to be in this game. Um, but, you know, not knowing what's going on on offense, you know, do I, is, is Troy Williams capable of beating USC? Absolutely he is. He did it last year. Um, and and he's got it in him, especially if he doesn't try to do too much. But you know, and it's it's a I'm more of in a mindset of he's got to show me, he's got to show me what he can do, and he hasn't yet. And so you know, I'm predicting a USC win, 27 to 20 is the score that I'm predicting. I uh, I think that uh, you know the, the Utes are undefeated against the spread this year. Um, I think so. Uh, uh, this uh, you know I think I think they'll cover the spread. Um, but I just don't think they're going to get over the hump this year in the Coliseum. That is a great note. I need to put that in my uh, in my Utah folder for our Pac-12 podcast because USC is one in five against the spread, and the spread in this one was like twelve or something. So I took I took USC to I, mean, I took Utah to cover for sure. 
Yeah, you'll need to double check that for sure. There might be one of those games that they missed, but uh, certainly in Pac-12 play, they 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 uh, they are undefeated against the spread in the two games that they've had. Okay, um, Andrew, I'll, I'll I'll take a note and uh, and look that one up. Yeah, I, I think it's on the USC side too. There's could be two different teams. We haven't seen the team that performed like last year, and the team has been. I talked about this earlier like really bad against pressure where last year Darnold was number two in the nation when facing pressure and number one against the blitz and they didn't get a lot of pressure against Oregon State or didn't face a lot of it and Darnold struggled when he did you're going to see a lot more pressure against this Utah front so yeah I I have a hard time picturing USC covering this game I think it's going to be close um and you know giving Utah a much better chance if Huntley plays but like you said Troy Williams beat him last year I think USC really needs to to try to get back and doing kind of what they were doing last year. I just haven't seen it yet. They've played five, six games and they look good in one. And that was against Stanford. You know, the rest, they just really didn't look that good. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's going to be fun, you know, and especially with the unknowns, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, from, from, from a fan point of view, you know, it, it's going to be must see TV. Yeah. I think for sure. Um, and huge in the Pac 12 South. Um, USC is already three and one in the Pac-12, so this would be like being four and one. You'd basically have a stranglehold on it, and you know Utah being the biggest competitor. But if not, now everything gets muddled. Um, you got all these teams. You know, most teams haven't played that that many conference games. Most teams are one and one. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one. Big one, ABC. Uh, definitely go check it out and watch it. But Dan, hey, thanks so much, Dan, for for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, sharing all the insights. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Dan Sorensen does a great job. Ute Zone. Dot com. Make sure you go check it out. All right, that's going to be it for our podcast for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to have a Keely and Shotgun doing their family feud one. But for me, I'm done with these. Too many podcasts in one week. But always doing great doing a preview. Dan coming on was awesome, so appreciate that. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.